0: Welcome to the Battleground, Wisconsin. My name's Matt Breski, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel as we head into primary election week. That means Rebecca Lynch is here. Rebecca's with the Wisconsin Working Families Party. Rebecca, good to see you.
1: Good to be here, Matt.
0: I'm glad you're awake. I know it's a tiring time for political (laughs) types. Barely. Yeah, and with us also, as always, Robert Craig, the Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, good to see you. Good day, everyone. So we are going to talk a lot about elections, because we've got the primary election Tuesday, August fourteenth. I want to remind you, if you're listening, that uh, early voting, you can still get out. Most of you listen on Friday. Uh, You can still go to your municipality, get those early votes in so you can get out and work on Tuesday and help help get uh, important candidates elected. But uh, wanted to talk about the primary election. Uh, we will also discuss a little bit about the Medicare for All study and Tammy Baldwin's awesome response to it. Got some WeDEC news, a little cannabis referendum news. And we'll close the show. We're going to do an interview uh, with uh, Lee Snodgrass, our endorsed candidate uh, for state senate in District 19, which is the Appleton Outagamie County area. So we're excited to have Lee on. She also has a primary on Tuesday. But let's start talking about this primary election. I want to start with the big race, the governor race. Um, None of our organizations, uh, Working Families Party for Rebecca, Citizen Action here, have endorsed. Um, The race is down to eight Democrats. And I want to start by asking each one of you your prediction on where you see this going. Given that we're just a few days away, there's no new polling, can Evers be beat, or is it Evers' election to lose at this point, or to win, however you want to, however you would like to slice it? I'm very curious to hear what everyone has to say here. I feel here. like
1: you're trolling this is us. I Well, it's an, <laughs> I,
0: you know, I mean, I just, it's it's time, we're close, I want to hear what y'all think. Um I know what everyone thinks about the policies of people, but just from a straight-up horse race, Rebecca, would you like to get us started?
1: That's awful. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, Tony Evers, with his name recognition, is going to be tough to beat in an environment where um, other candidates have, while raising like considerable resources, um, struggled to, you know, break through the public consciousness and part of that i think is just not raising enough resources to do that part of that is um the way the media has covered the race which is like barely and when they do it's like weird gossip or um just like snide like random (laughs) remarks so it's very hard for a lot you know i i was canvassing in river west milwaukee last night for an assembly race and nobody i talked to knew who they were voting for in the governor's race And these are some of the most these are people who vote in every single primary election who are truly paying attention and they had no idea who they were voting for. And I think that is like in part a function of, you know, the campaigns and how they're being run and the message they're running on. And I think a lot of that just has to do with the reality of the resources available to them. And part of it is just you know how the Fourth Estate has been covering the race
0: real quick on that you <laughs> you you mentioned that almost everyone 's undecided. The polls do generally reflect that there are still a ton of people undecided so while tony may may have polled at about thirty percent in the last Marquette poll, there's still large numbers of people who haven 't made up their mind, and people have also suggested that some of the su- the support for any candidate is soft at this point that people could move. Um, so that that's very interesting to hear that even in River West, right? A lot it's of, anecdotal. It is you know. anecdotal, but that anyone statewide who doesn't know River West is one of the more liberal or progressive areas of the state. High, you know, high voter turnout. So people that are generally tracking what's going on, they wouldn't be more disengaged. So that even voters like that feel that way is is very telling.
2: Robert. Well, this is this is a struggle because this is a very unprecedented race, and we, despite all of the, oh, the wonderful Marquette University law poll tells us everything, right?
0: <laughs> Robert has to
2: bash them. That's great. It's and he even put out a poll this week. Unclear, <laughs> right? Uh, we having this many candidates, having the part of the problem is the money is split up, so candidates don't have the money in part because they're competing with too other, many other candidates for money. Yep. Another problem is we progressives have done such a great job, in my opinion, building on the 2016 Democratic national platform, pushing candidates in Democratic primaries to be bold and progressive, that it's hard to distinguish the candidates, though I think that there are real differences. They just all have an incentive to say, I'm the progressive, I'm the progressive, right? Um, so in that environment... And I don't know, we don't actually have good numbers on how many points, that's the, that's the uh, number of TV uh, views per person on the, in the major media markets have actually been purchased in the last two weeks. We don't know that exactly. It doesn't seem like any of the candidates have enough resources, enough name recognition uh, to defeat Tony Evers' name recognition. But who knows, his name recognition, he, 60% still don't know who the heck he is. Uh, so it's not like he's, you know, Herb Cole or Russ Feingold or any kind of uh, uh, politician that people know very, very well, um, but could be wrong. But it's just I could see, in my opinion, there are three or four candidates that would probably beat Tony Evers one on one in this primary. So it seems like a perfect storm for him. He has the name recognition. Uh, people are dividing up the money. Their name recognition is less. And so it, he just floats through on that basis. So that's what it seems like, but it's weird enough that I could be wrong. It just I don't see which candidate. If he's going to get 30%, 35% just automatically on name recognition, I don't see the other candidate they can get over that number uh, at this point, though there are some I would personally really like to see get there. I'm not currently seeing it. So this begs an important question because I I think the analysis here
0: is correct um, for the most part that, it's all split up, right? You got Evers and then split up amongst others who are trying to claim the progressive mantle. Should, does this expose maybe a failing on the left that, failing's not the right word, a reality, I guess, on the left of, there's no ability to really build consensus ahead of time. And I know some people may say, oh, insiders trying to decide who, but like trying to build a consensus where there could have been one or two Ostensibly progressive candidates that people were organizing behind that wouldn't lead to what to me seems like a bunch of progressives or at least running as progressives, right? Some decent alternatives, right? Let's be honest. Mike McCabe, Calderoys Malin Mitchell are running, you know, very progressive campaigns, right? By by old standards, if you had looked at traditional Democratic uh, gubernatorial candidates. Um, staying out of the Matt Flynn issue with uh, his history, he's certainly also running a very progressive, certainly economic, taking on Foxconn, a lot of other things. So you're right, uh, Robert, about this sort of, there's a lot of energy on the left, but like we're split up amongst a ton of candidates, and none of them have been able to cut through. Um, that That seems to be the biggest problem we have here, and so Tony can kind of get through based on, I've run statewide he's got some level of name recognition certainly within a democratic primary so 25 percent of the vote could win this thing so I, I don't know i mean what do you what what are your response to that when i say like maybe could the left have organized better and i you know i even just say this as our own organization we spent a lot of time trying to you know let people see the candidates meet the candidates like really push them to the left as robert said um but that doesn't necessarily change this dynamic this problem with the numbers uh,
1: i don't um i don't think so i think that you know it sounds a bit like that argument that we could have organized better to maybe consolidate the field is kind of like a smoke filled room backroom yeah. polit- politics kind of thing and that's just not what we do and i also think that that's not the way to get the best candidate i i think that it's unfortunate in this race with this field that we don't have any breakaway stars. And that's like no shade at some really wonderful people and folks who I think are really great candidates with good platforms, but you know, Bernie Sanders went viral and was able to raise the resources he needed in spite of the odds because he was so compelling and authentic. And Randy Bryce, the same thing, right? And there is nobody in this gubernatorial race who is as compelling enough to be that candidate. L-
0: let me let me respond to that because I generally I definitely agree about the smoke filled rooms. I, I threw that out. I really that's a problematic. I, I saw you were yeah, it's like, me. I'm kinda <laughs> like it's problematic, right? Um, and I don't care for necessarily that type of democracy, but you brought up Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders was able to step into a vacuum where it was like Hillary Clinton, that's it. Could you be the alternative? There really was no alternative. Yeah. So progressives and everybody else could a lie behind him, you know, regardless of what his message was. And I do think he ran that kind of campaign. We don't we have exactly the opposite problem. Oh, we right. have progressive split up um, uh, amongst uh, four or five
2: legitimate candidates. I, I, I think a Akelda Roy's if it's only against Evers, gets the Bernie mantle, just for example. Uh, or if, or if Malin. I other don't know. Candidates.
1: I think that if her message and her ads, and if she was going to go viral, she would have gone viral. And, I, and she didn't. And I don't think it's because of the it, A
2: lot of Bernie's viralness, we, if we're, in my opinion, was also a kind of Hillary fatigue, that people didn't want Hillary... Uh, you would thought that give that. That's a good question. Evers was less known than Clinton. a so different dynamic.
0: We're going to discuss this more right after the break. You're listening to The Battleground, Wisconsin. Welcome back to The Battleground, Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're talking about the Democratic gubernatorial primary election. Uh, Robert and Rebecca, you were just, we were talking about comparing the dynamic between Bernie and, Sanders, and what's going on here in the gubernatorial election.
2: I uh, totally agree with Rebecca about the smoke-filled rooms, <laughs> though I don't know they'd be smoke-filled anymore. Vape, uh,
1: vape-filled rooms. Yes. Um,
2: cannabis. And this is the consequence of the post-Watergate reforms. If we're going to remove the institutional party's control over its candidates, then basically it's an entrepreneurial system where anyone who can raise the money and file can win, right? And we're seeing that now. In this race, even more than usual, though it sometimes leads to no one's running when we had just Mary Burke and she seemed anointed. but this ought to uh, for some progressives educate them that there really isn't an established democratic party that can just pick candidates, okay uh if they had, they would have they would have picked a candidate in this race and I don't even think that the establishment has flocked to Tony. Tony's just has more name recognition, so the challenges after the election, so let's say this is correct. And by the way, we have you know, some very interesting campaigns. We have Mike McCabe's thesis that if he has enough dedicated volunteers, he can overcome money, maybe in a race like this. Who knows? It hasn't reflected in polling yet, but I'm just saying. And I think that Kelda Royce is running a very sharp campaign and is running very good ads on health care and other issues. But let's say Tony is kind of skating through. You then have a nominee that's getting through with probably less than majority support, who most people don't know, and who has been the least bold in the field, quite frankly. And then you will and so the question is, will he get, and this is the fundamental thing, that he needs to embrace the the progressive base, which is split up between these other candidates, six of the other candidates. And that means taking some bold positions. He's taken a few good ones in education, which is his ballywick right, on full funding for special ed, for example, is huge. It would greatly help rural and and urban school districts, okay? But everywhere else is just kind of not nearly as exciting. And I think that he needs that grassroots army, and he needs that excitement to beat a candidate like Scott Walker, and he needs that flood of small donations from the excitement. And maybe if if Mandela Barnes is the lieutenant governor candidate, uh, Mandela can help inject some of that hopefully and they run more as a ticket than usual
1: yeah i think that well first of all i'd push back on tony being great on education um (laughs) you know he keeps saying you can't put the genie back in the bottle about vouchers and that is just not a good policy and it's not a helpful thing to say and i think that you know once a primer is over if he is the nominee he's going to have some um he's going to have to have some conversations with uh, education advocates and teachers unions and folks who are going to going to have to really educate him in spite of the fact that he's the state superintendent um on on how problematic that view is i mean he let o- me, let me yeah. just
2: interject. i totally agree <laughs> that and in fact his taking of the largest grant last year for charter school expansion yeah. is another example and there's Maybe more coming out on that before the election. So you're right. There's a whole mending of the base, even within his the core of his base. Education, yeah.
1: and I, I think we can get there. But that that's something that's going to have to be addressed on day one after the primary. I mean, we can't continue. Um, to run against Scott Walker, who, as, as we've pointed out in the past, and I'm sure we'll talk about again, is trying to run on his, quote, historic investment in education, which is outrageous. When he is the anti-education, you know, number one attacker of teachers' unions across the country, we can't h- go head-to-head with him with someone who is like, I think some of his policies are correct. Like, that's not, that's not the way we're going to uh, excite people and consolidate the base. And then on the other point you made, Robert, um, about the need for a grassroots army, We have thousands of people in Wisconsin's Choice. They're Citizen Action members. They're OWR members. They're unaffiliated with any organization. Maybe they're union members who uh, the vast, vast majority – uh, did not support tony evers but the vast majority didn't support any one candidate i mean the, the field is truly split and so i think that there is going to be a lot of work to do to get people mobilized and these are folks who maybe they're members of the democratic party maybe they aren't but they are truly progressives and they're activists and they're hard workers and they're engaged and they're paying attention and I just hope that there's a way that we can all kind of like work together to have the conversations we need to have to to mobilize moving forward. And I think that's really important. And I just truly hope that, you know, if Tony's the nominee or whoever's the nominee, that the Democratic Party and the campaign and whoever's working with them understand the importance of us, the activists on the left, and how much we have to offer. And that it has to be a two-way street. There needs to be a conversation about what the policies are and how we're going to work together.
0: So... The election hasn't occurred. Um, folks, make sure, you know, don't, don't, we, we're not assuming anything's going to happen here. This is a fairly wide open uh, primary, so please make sure you get out and vote. Um, I We do want to move and talk a little bit about some of the other primary races, because there are some very critical races. I have one other quick yeah, sure.
2: interjection, I and that too. is. Oh, we got more. <laughs> Go for it. Uh the standard playbook, particularly when you have over $50 million, if you combine the coordinated dark money and Walker campaign money he can raise because he's a national candidate and thinks he's still going to be president, um, they're going to try to knock the Democrat nominee out of the box in the, immediately. And so there really will be a time. If the, if, the, if the nominee, if it's Tony, whoever it is, is simply on the defensive and isn't pushing forward with something exciting and we don't have excitement in the field, Uh, there's a real chance this this race is over by early September. Now, Walker's polling numbers in the blue wave would give us a much better chance, but still. And so we really need people to get active after the election, but we need something from our candidate to inspire them as well. We need both.
1: Yeah, that's a better note to end on than what I was going to say. But to go back to, you know, Matt, your question about, well, is this a failure of progressives or folks on the left to not have consolidated or behind one candidate? I think it helps to have, like, not have amnesia about this race and note that we, it took a while to even convince people to run or to find people to run. I mean, Kelda Royce, for example, who's now I think a front runner in this race and very well could win the primary, she's what is she the latest entrant? She's one of the latest entrants into the race.
2: Yeah, she she ended pretty late. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so I think like the the truth is that if there's a failure at all, um, in general, it was just like recruitment early on of like exciting dynamic candidates. But I think that part of that is that folks in Wisconsin are so beaten down trying to beat Walker and try to win these elections that there weren't as well. It seemed like there were a lot of candidates who were running and there were um, at the same time, there was a strange dynamic of like not a lot of strong candidates or heavy hitters looking to step up and run.
2: Oh, and I think part of it is, and I know Kelda real well, she's a former citizen action board member is remember She was uh, being a young woman by having a child so I I think she probably, she hasn't said this to me, I'm just guessing, was on the fence about whether I should run this time and then uh, afterwards she's like, my goodness there's no exciting candidate, I I, I need to do this I'm I'm putting words into her mouth she's not told me that, but that's what I'm guessing
1: Yeah, I mean, the field there's no way she could have jumped into the race so late had there already been a strong candidate in the field, it was just so wide open and it's it's still so wide open so anyway, that's my two cents
0: Yeah, and all I'll close this with is in the past where there were some of the democratic institutions and organizations that were stronger and we know Walker has gone after them labor being a key part but trial lawyers right in the past there may have been some if if a group or two had consolidated say behind Jim Doyle or some candidate early Mm -hmm. it helps sort of lead to that kind of consolidation and I'm not saying Jim Doyle was like some progressive but in the past that existed we don't have those kinds of institutions, or and or they stayed out, right? They didn't jump in, and so I think that's what sort of leads to this. You know, it's difficult to raise money if most of the big players are sitting on the sidelines, right? Well, and, part and, of it is—I I
2: know I said there weren't. There are somewhat these institutions, but they're not like the smoke-filled rooms. They're not Mayor daily, you can control things, right? But part of what happened is is that the institutions that do exist kind of got caught. Off guard because they didn 't really think Walker was very beatable and didn 't really predict the blue wave and and there and were divided among themselves, so uh, that is another caveat on the question of whether there are any democratic institutions that try to select candidates
0: well and and so I do think that that's an important part when we talk about the smoke filled uh, rooms or whatever right like though that 's what it really was. it was some of the major institutions that would just be better organized at this point so I think Um, in Wisconsin, they're craft beer filled (laughs) rooms. All right. So with that, um, we just have about a minute before we have to go to break. Um, We want to talk a little bit about some of the really important primary elections that are occurring, particularly where we have members running. Um, And so I want to start by briefly talking about uh, Western Wisconsin and our... Member Jeff Smith, who is running for state senate in um, Senate District Thirty-One, which is the uh, broadly speaking the Eau Claire area and largely south of Eau Claire. Um, Jeff is a, lo- a former state assemblyman and an organizer for Citizen Action. Uh, he has been running a grassroots, you know, campaign Bold, and progressive yeah, campaign exactly on on a real agenda. Um, he has a primary against uh, two opponents. We really want to encourage folks in Western Wisconsin area, first, get out and help Jeff this weekend. He has canvassing on Saturday starting at 10 a.m. and also on Sunday starting at noon. Please go to his office. We'll have links uh, to where you can uh, go help Jeff, but then make sure if you're in that area, you get out and support Jeff Smith next week. Uh, next Tuesday. With that, we got to take a break. We'll talk a little more primary elections after this commercial. You are listening to the Battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're talking primary elections. The primary election is this Tuesday. And uh, we were talking about Jeff Smith uh, in Western Wisconsin, but also want to talk about. Here in Milwaukee, uh, we have a number of members that are running. In particular, uh, Marissa Bell Cabrera has a primary against Josh Sepnick. And we really, really want to encourage our Milwaukee area, uh, southeastern Wisconsin area members to come on out this weekend and help Marissa Bell. Um, really, really important race. Uh, she would be the second Latina in the Democratic caucus. Um, and... That would be huge. And someone who also, particularly on healthcare, uh, really wants to see Badger Care expanded, things like that. And so we're super excited about Marissa Bell and really hope folks can get out and help this weekend. We'll be canvassing on Saturday. We're meeting at the AFT 212 office. Yep. And we'll be working uh, in partnership with Working Families Party, AFT Local 212, and some of our other partners uh, to help Marissa Bell and some other candidates including Ernel Lucas who we should announce I uh, was endorsed this week by Citizen Action Ernel Lucas For is from County Milwaukee Sheriff. County Sheriff um, and we so we will will be out supporting all of those candidates I don't know our, what, our statewide listeners will remember the former Milwaukee County Sheriff oh uh, David Clark okay. fine fella <laughs> yes uh, Rebecca any other information about Saturday
1: Um, 10 a.m. AFT Local 212. uh, There's a Facebook event live on the Wisconsin Working Families Party Facebook page. Um, We also, I think, have emailed it out or we will be emailing it out. Um, Definitely please come by. Uh, You'll also be able to carry literature and talk to voters about Mandela Barnes, another Citizen Action Co-op member who's running for lieutenant governor and Ernell Lucas for sheriff. So it'll be a nice threefer. And I think later in the afternoon they might be doing some canvassing for some other assembly candidates as well.
2: Yeah. And as far as Marissa Bell goes, I mean... To have another strong progressive champion in the legislature, woman of color, who is also a proud member of the LGBT community, just would be huge. I mean, she would; she's literally will become a, a major leader in the progressive movement if she can get through this primary in Wisconsin and possible, you know, person to move up. Um, and but we need those kind of leaders. and We need them now. And with that, we
0: actually have a special guest. We want to talk about. Um, the Appleton area, where Senate District 19 has a primary on Tuesday. And uh, Senate District 19 is a really, really important seat because it's one of the state Senate seats. Progressives, Democrats must win if we're going to have any control of the Senate and do any governing here in the future. And so it's a very critical race. So we're really fortunate to have a special guest right now. Uh, We want to welcome Lee Snodgrass. Lee is our endorsed candidate for Senate District 19. Lee has a really important primary coming up this Tuesday. Lee, thanks for taking the time to join us and talk more about your campaign.
3: Oh, it's my favorite thing to do. Thanks for having me.
0: So, Lee, tell us a little bit more about yourself. You're a a new candidate. I don't know if, uh, and we have a statewide audience. Um, We've already told folks about the importance of this race, Senate District 19. There's no pathway to progressive power without winning this. So tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and your campaign.
3: Happy to. Um, I actually was, um, I, my family moved here when I was 10. So I'm a Wisconsinite from the age of 10 on. Uh, my dad worked in the paper industry, and um, as people who may have worked in that industry know, you move around a lot. You go where the mills have work. And so uh, we landed here in, in actually Green Bay, and um, my my dad was in the paper industry, and my mom was working in family services, actually. She's a registered nurse who worked in, in Transitioned into social work. So um, for me growing up, my family um, also, interestingly enough, was a bipartisan family. My dad was mostly Republican and my mom was mostly a Democrat. So as a child, um, my sister and I would laugh because my mom... My dad would come home from work, and my mom would say on election day, and she would say, okay, girls, it's time to go cancel out your father's vote. Um, so for me, the, I think the one vote really matters was really, really intensified in our home, and I really think I carried that with me. Um, I went to UW-Madison for school uh, after I graduated from high school in Green Bay. I don't think you step away from Madison without some sort of political um, engagement. At least I didn't. Uh, I worked on campaigns while I was there, and then as an adult, I I worked on a number of presidential campaigns um, throughout my years, uh, including, uh, uh, my, I'll age myself, Tammy Baldwin's first assembly race was a, and, and Russ Feingold's first run for Senate were campaigns that I volunteered on. So um, after that, I, I followed my father's footsteps into the paper industry, where I built a career in marketing communications. And um, now I currently work at the Girl Scouts of the Northwestern Great Lakes as their communications director. So, you know, identifying ways that we can build leadership qualities in women and girls is uh, something that's passionate uh, for me. And um, I'm also the current chair of the Democratic Party here in Abagami County. So, again, I've worked for years getting others elected into races, and it's really fun to be on the other side of the coin. So
0: tell us more about that other side of the coin. You have a primary on Tuesday. What 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 are the big issues? What are you hearing about when you're out talking to voters? What's going to be the difference in winning Senate District 19 this year?
3: Um, so Senate District 19 is really interesting. It's primarily urban-suburban, fairly compact. Um, and then there's some rural communities surrounding it. Um, but when I'm at the doors right now, the most consistent message I'm hearing from people, I almost don't even have to ask. People say to me, you know, what are you going to do about healthcare? Or how can, how, this is my healthcare story. Um, so for me, what I'm hearing primarily is, is about everybody has a story there. And then secondly, it's education. You know, what's what's happened to our schools in Wisconsin? What's happened to our UW system in Wisconsin? And at a state level, what, what you do to change that? And then really the third one for us, and I think it, it's, uh, also, sort of linked to what's happening um, in a different part of Wisconsin, Foxconn. is people here are really concerned about, you know, what's happening with Kimberly Clark and what kind of precedent are we setting by giving, you know, tax incentives to large corporations while at the same time um, having workers take concessions to keep their jobs. So for us, it's really sort of um, healthcare, education, and economics. I always try to get an environmental message in there at the doors because that's what, uh, an issue that I'm passionate about. But those are the primary issues that I'm hearing about.
0: So you have a primary, which means we got to get the vote out. Uh, I know we've endorsed you, and we've got—we're trying to get our members out this weekend. But tell our listeners who are in the area if they want to get involved uh, this weekend, how they can come out and help your election.
3: There are so many opportunities. We are super fortunate to have a really strong team of volunteers, and we are really, really excited to welcome the Citizen Action volunteers to the team. Uh, We have uh, Get Out the Vote campuses starting this Saturday, going all the way through Election Day. Um, We have shifts every day from 9, 11, 1, and 3. Um, Obviously, you guys, most of your listeners know, it probably takes about two, two and a half hours to knock a packet of four doors. Um, So we are getting volunteers for every single one of those shifts, uh, every single one of those days. And I myself will be knocking all day long every single one of those days. So I look forward to meeting a bunch of people who who can come out and help us have a real strong showing because really, for us, it's not just about winning this primary, but it's winning it decidedly so that we can, and show that we are a, a campaign and a candidate to be reckoned with, um, and it's, it, it's a, a place we like to start our, our push to November.
2: Uh, so, uh, Lee, this is Robert. Thank you very much for running and what you're doing, because we really do need to thank people for really you know, leading in our democracy and taking it seriously. Uh, what is your assessment of uh, your, your general election opponent, should you come to the primary in, in flying colors, uh, Mr. Roth?
3: Um, Yeah, I actually spend most of my time focusing on um, beating Mr. Ross in November. And what I'm hearing and what I've seen is that he's a vulnerable candidate because of the way he's voted. Um, He has not kept the interest of certainly Senate District 19 residents in mind with his legislation, both in what he's written and brought to the floor and what he's voted on. Um, We have seen a decidedly different type of candidate the longer he's been in office. Obviously, he started in the Assembly, and he just finished his first term in the Senate. You can track his votes um, from the time he was assigned um, as, a, as a president of the Senate. You can actually look at his League of Conservation voter score and watch it decidedly go down the longer he's been in office. So we are seeing more and more evidence that uh, Roger Roth is simply a rubber stamp for Governor Walker's agenda and not representing the, the needs of the majority of Wisconsinites, and certainly not Senate District 19.
0: So, folks, we got to get out. We got to help Lee. I want to remind everybody this Saturday, come meet her at 9 a.m. You'll be there, Lee, right? We'll have coffee and... Uh, We're
3: going to have bagels. Our office is actually located right next to a bagel store. So we'll have bagels, cream cheese, coffee, and a lot of enthusiasm.
0: I did visit that after I met with you. Uh, excellent bagel <laughs> store. So get out there. <laughs> um, I, don't, I can't remember the name of it, but it's excellent. Um had a good sandwich. Folks, so 9 o'clock, come on out this, this Saturday in Appleton. Help knock doors for Lee. Let's get, let's get the word out. This seat, we can win. And Lee is the perfect candidate to win. Lee, we want to thank you so much for running uh, and running the way you are with a real volunteer-driven, grassroots campaign. We think that's exactly what's needed. Um, so we really appreciate you running and taking the time to talk with us today.
3: I am so excited, and we're going to do this, and we're going to all do it together. So thanks so much, you guys.
0: Great, Lee. Well, we'll we'll, we'll see you down the road, uh, and good luck this Tuesday.
3: Great.
0: Take care. Obviously, very thankful, Lee. Folks, please get out. Let's, let's help Lee this weekend. Come on out and meet her. Um, but with that, we're going to take a break. You're listening to The Battleground, Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Welcome back to The Battleground, Wisconsin. For Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're going to take a little last few minutes not to talk about specifically the election, but we want to talk about Medicare for All. That's been in the news this week. La- late last week, uh, a Koch-funded research report came out on Medicare for All, the Sanders bill, and it the, the media really got this wrong. It, it started running saying that had massive costs and only focused on what it was going to cost to actually run the system and totally ignored part of the study that actually looked at what we're currently paying and broad, looked more broadly at um, what the overall costs are to the system that actually found it would reduce our costs. Um, and the reason I want to talk about this is, one, it obviously shows, one, the media in its inability to really talk effectively <laughs> about about this issue, but I want to talk about Tammy Baldwin uh, and her leadership on this. She immediately got out and went after this report, continuing to support it, going after the numbers, actually raising the fact that the, that the media is not properly reporting it, but most importantly, really, getting out front and supporting single-payer, not walking away from it, actually defending it, and this is what I think is part of what makes tammius a unique Senate, state U.S. senator, right? Uh, compared to a lot of what we see, where folks might have been wanting to like backpedal or maybe question the numbers, as opposed to just saying, "No, this is this is worth it. This is a, a, a really important investment of a, a critical
2: priority health care." Robert, your thoughts? Yeah, and we'll provide a link uh, in the battleground Wisconsin section of the Citizen Action Wisconsin website uh, to the interview. But Mike Goucher, who's you know very good mainline establishment kind of pundit, uh, nice guy, uh, is asking her all the usual questions about how can we afford this? Wouldn't be a huge tax increase, et cetera? And Tammy doesn't back down. Tammy just says we need this health care is the is the battle of our of our generation of our lives, um, and it's it's going to obviously save a lot of money. It's a question of how you pay it. If you feel good about paying drug companies and insurance companies more than you would pay in taxes, then uh, stay with the current system, right? Uh, Which is working so, so well, not. And this study, as Matt pointed out, it came from the Mercatus Center, at George Mason University, and if you read the major works on right-wing conspiracy, that was really one of the beginning points, the Kochs building their own academic apparatus. At a university, they wanted the credibility of university. Now, the downside was, even though I'm sure the researchers, in quotes, at Mercatus Center, uh, found the numbers that would be most prejudicial to Medicare for All, they nonetheless, unlike something like the McIver Institute or something, actually did on page 18 report their actual numbers. And it showed that uh, total healthcare costs decreased by less than 2%, and it, but expenditures decreased by 4%. So even given the most stacked numbers I'm sure they could find, it saves money overall. That's stunning.
1: And and if I may just bring this back to the primary elections on Tuesday, you know, this is one of the many reasons why I'm so passionate and driven to uh, hopefully elect Mandela Barnes to or at least get him on the ticket for for uh, lieutenant governor and then hopefully elect him to be lieutenant governor, because we need people backing Tammy Baldwin up in state who are unapologetic and bold when it comes to health care as a right and that this is the best way to do it in a way that saves money in spite of the stacked right wing study that came out. Uh, and we need someone not only who's going to be in the lieutenant governor's office, pushing whoever the governor is um, and being bold and using their bully pulpit to really tell the truth about healthcare. But we need somebody who, whether it's Mandela or whoever, you know, let's like one race at a time. But we need someone who's going to challenge Ron Johnson because our other senator, who's not Tammy Baldwin, is going to Russia. I don't know what he's doing Um, and isn't, isn't using facts and isn't standing up for Wisconsin families when it comes to health care. And so, you know, we have to focus on the elections that are on Tuesday. It's critical that citizen action members vote for Mandela. They tell their friends to vote for Mandela. If you want to do texting for him, we're going to be texting all weekend, including a text bank at 5 PM at my office, um, at the working families party on Friday. Uh, but it's really, really important in this election. And then when we're looking, when is Ron Johnson up? Twenty twenty two, and and uh,
2: well, he's not going to run for re-election. right? So he says open seat. Maybe he'll change his mind. His service is so important, but don't feel badly, Rebecca. I know you don't have no idea what what Ron Johnson is doing. I suspect he doesn't either.
1: The Russians, the Russians have some idea, but you know, so so just n- sorry to make it about the primary, but you know, I think Tammy is fantastic on this issue and generally, and she needs backup in state.
0: Yeah, so. Bravo, Tammy. And again, just a precursor,
2: even though you say the primary, this fall. <laughs> oh, this, and
0: this will be the major election. And one right? more I mean, it thing.
2: For all the candidates out there who are tempted to listen to the whispers in their ears, they're going to say, be careful, don't be too strong, don't talk about Medicare for all. Just take Tammy's example. Tammy is the most successful Democrat politician in the state of Wisconsin right now. And this doesn't hurt you at all. It helps you.
0: One final thing on, on the Medicare for All. Okay, so I want to I wanna point out something that was brought up by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who is the Democratic candidate who won uh, that the congressional primary a month ago. She really raises the point, right, about this Medicare for All. Why is it only when we're talking about critical things like healthcare? or 100% re- getting to 100% renewable energy that that's where we hear about what you know whether we have enough money whether whether there's our pockets are deep enough but yet they could just give trillions of dollars away in a tax cut and we don't hear any of that right but on the critical moral questions of our time suddenly all of those things we hear about what the limits are of what we can finance well oh, you know well, what we need-, we need leaders who are willing to step up and say you know, when the budget comes for the police department, when it comes for all these other areas, if they blow all the money on that, right, and don't have money for
2: basic needs, it is a real serious question of what are our moral priorities here. Don't don't forget, Matt, we apparently need massive Cold War-era military projects. We need record military spending on projects that have nothing to do with any kind of actual threat to the country. We need those, too, and the tax cuts. But, oh, no, no, there just isn't the money for health care. So
0: shout out to her for calling that out. She, she's been awesome and a breath of fresh air. Um, one other thing that we want to talk about before we go, we um, want to give an update on the cannabis referendums. We were really happy to have Eric Marsh on uh, two weeks ago. Um, Racine, the city of Racine, is going to have a referendum. Like all of them, they're a little different. Uh, Racine's actually going to ask, uh, it looks like, three different questions that gauge how you feel about marijuana should it be fully you know recreational um should it only be medical um but so more more people are uh adding this referendum Uh, next week portage county is going to have a vote on it so we'll keep an eye on this uh again we think this issue is very very important to talk about how do we start to decriminalize how do we not incarcerate so many people um it's a so legalizing is an absolutely critical question when we're going to talk about uh, those kinds of issues. Uh, the other thing we need to mention is Weedec. this week. A new, new report came out showing that this company that uh, just got $60 million worth of uh, Weedec money, uh, no surprise, also
2: major donors to Governor Walker over the years. Robert? It's just free speech, right? It has nothing to, one has nothing to do with the other. I've been saying for a long time, and Mike McCabe actually also says this is legalized bribery, and it needs to be made illegal. Well but I mean, remember, remember <laughs> just how just remember how corrupt the Walker administration is, and how, in addition to this, which is legal bribery, literally he thinks he can take. Uh, Hundreds of millions of dollars of, of public money and give it as a bribe right before the election to families right, right? right. and how foxconn he doesn 't care it works out as long as it helps him get elected
1: right
0: yeah, I actually saw i can't remember it might have been Bruce Murphy somebody suggesting you know that all of the stuff ought to be tracked like campaign finance the way he's been giving out giving out yeah. the money, and the whole Foxconn deal, right the tour going around every part of the state Foxcon. S- creating these little tiny offices in each parts of the state to make it look like e- you know different regions of the state are going to benefit. Um, the truth, people know, that ain't happening. And it, Lee brought it up earlier, Lee Snodgrass on the show, that this issue she is hearing from voters, that's because people get it. They get that this, this is not a good investment of our money. And it's also not wise to make a massive investment that's concentrated in one area as opposed to something like if we did 100% renewable around the state, massive inf- uh, infrastructure investments throughout the state that could lead to renewable energy jobs are all in every part of the state, not just concentrated in one area. So that's why this issue is uh, but, really important.
2: But what is a good investment is investing in Scott Walker. Mm-hmm. $17,000 uh, govern- to, to Republican gubernatorial candidate Scott Walker from Green Bay Packaging in return for $60 million from the state. Now that's a darn good return on investment, don't you think, Rebecca?
1: It is indeed. I mean, this ties back to what you said about uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, this giant transfer of wealth from the people to these corporations we can afford, but we can't afford to provide health care. It's just outrageous.
0: So that is why these elections matter this year. Let's get out. Let's support folks. Get out and vote this uh, next Tuesday, but this weekend, please get out and volunteer for a lot of our members and good progressive candidates around the state. With that, we got to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. We want to thank our producer, Brian Mildridge, who makes it happen every week. And we will see you next week. Oh, and of course, we want to thank Lee Snodgrass for joining us. Um, we'll see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.